Welcome to Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault in Springfield, Illinois. Individuals working in the restaurant industry face some of the highest levels of workplace sexual harassment. According to a report from the Center on Poverty and Inequity, 90% of women working for tips within the food service industry have experienced some form of sexual harassment or even assault. However, it's not just the women that are being targeted. That same report stated 60% of transgender individuals and 46% of men working for tips have also reported experiencing harassment or assault. So why are the rates for sexual harassment so much higher among tipped employees and what can be done about it? Well, joining me today is Shamila Ruiz, the communications director for One Fair Wage. The organization was recently included in a new joint publication by the Prevention Institute and the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, a health equity approach to preventing sexual violence. This publication focuses on several primary preventative strategies that either reduce or eliminate sexual violence in the workplace, including facilitating internal organizational change, addressing underlying factors that contribute to violence and safety, and partnering across fields and movements. One Fair Wage also published a report last November titled, Take Your Mask Off So I Know How Much to Tip You, Service Workers' Experience of Health and Harassment During COVID-19, which documents over 1,600 individual experiences. Shamila, welcome to our, our podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure as a both representative of One Fair Wage, but also as a survivor myself of sexual violence at work. I am thrilled to be here, thrilled to be learning more about your work and having the opportunity to share a little bit about what we do at One Fair Wage. So really, let's start with that. Can you tell us what One Fair Wage is and what you do for people who may not be familiar with your organization? Yeah. One Fair Wage is a national organization, campaign, and coalition, which is seeking a full minimum wage for all tipped workers in the United States. Our primary goals are to lift millions of tipped and subminimum wage service industry workers across the country out of poverty, empower our worker leaders through political education, civic engagement, and most important and most relevant to this conversation, work towards greater racial equity and reducing sexual harassment and gender-based violence against women at work because the subminimum wage for tipped workers is a both a direct legacy of slavery that leads to so much segregation, racial discrimination, and harassment at work. And it's also a contributor to causing gender-based violence against women at work because of the reliance of tips. And we'll get a little bit more into how that works in a little bit. But we do this through a few ways. These are activities as we categorize them through policy shift activities. So we introduce bills. We have uh, 16 states where we're moving a bill to eliminate the subminimum wage for tip service industry workers and are um, very active in states like Illinois, New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, the District of Columbia, New Jersey, and a few other states. And we're also pushing a federal raise the wage bill, which is currently up for debate. It's been um, a hot topic of contention amongst Congress members. You might remember back in March, there was a vote to raise the minimum wage for all workers to $15 an hour. And that did include passing one fair wage for all tipped workers, youth workers, and workers with disabilities. So this conversation that we're having today couldn't come at a more timely moment because there's so much that listeners at home can actually do to advocate for this policy that would help support so many women at work, help reduce racial and gender bias at work. 
and to help keep women safe ultimately as they would be paid a full entire wage. So that's our policy shift kind of bucket of our work. And then we also have two other buckets. So narrative and culture shift. We have produced two films, worked together with film producers. One is called Waging Change, a film by Abby Ginsberg. And then also One Fair Wage as a campaign was featured by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, first partner of California. In her film, The Great American Lie, which is actually a trilogy that looks at gender norms in America. So the first one is the film that actually coined the term toxic masculinity called The Mask You Live In. And this is the third one in that trilogy. We've also published books on the topic, Behind the Kitchen Door, Forked, and forthcoming book called One Fair Wage, Ending Some Minimum Pay in America, which is coming out on November 2nd. And then we, you know, have had our research and our report, which you mentioned in your introduction, featured in all sorts of print media, television, um, radio, podcasts, with the overall goal to change the narrative and create a culture shift in how we think about the valuation of labor in the service sector, right? Because when you pay a worker a sub-minimum wage, as little as $2.13 at the federal level, that is a direct representation of what we think they're worth, right? Two-fifths of the overall wage. You know, it's interesting because... I don't think the pandemic caused a lot of the issues that we're having right now, but it certainly thrust them into the spotlight. And it used to be that you would hear people say, well, if you don't like working for tips, get another job. And now these people are getting another job and everybody's going, wait, 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 what's going on here? They have gotten other jobs. We said this at the onset of the pandemic. Working as a tip service industry worker was already very difficult prior to the pandemic, right? You're having to put up with whatever customer might do or say to you. And so for women, and keep in mind, 70% of tips workers in the restaurant industry identify as women. Many of them are working moms, you know, working lunch shifts while their kids are at school. And they have to put up with whatever customers might do or say to them. And it creates this notion of servitude, this feeling that the customer has power over you and that you as a server or servant feel less than, right? Because you are at the mercy of this notion that the customer is always right. And I think right now during the pandemic, a lot of people, there was actually a hashtag going that said, hashtag the customer is not always right. Because in the pandemic, all of these issues have been culminating and aggregating into a snowball and really exposed all of these cracks in the American system of paying workers less than a minimum wage, which we know is not a living wage. So as you mentioned, the situation was already bad prior to the pandemic. Now customers Uh, workers are being asked to do more for less. They're dealing with increased hostility and harassment from customers. And tips are down. By our research, tips are down 50 to 75% as a whole, as a nation, amongst tipped workers now, as opposed to prior to the pandemic, pre-March 2020. And so you have all these things happening and workers are just walking out. You might have seen all across social media, workers were pasting signs to their doors saying, um, closed due to poverty wages, like are closed due to bad working conditions. And so we're seeing this resurgence of worker power organizing to create better conditions, which from my seven years organizing restaurant workers is kind of an organizer's dream in the sense that it's awful these workers are going through this, but it is encouraging them and enabling them to find their voices, their collective voices and say, we will not put up for this anymore. And so now, you know what, you might not be able to get your brunch on a Sunday because there might not be anybody to staff that. And it's exactly as you said, 
for so long, people have said, oh, you don't like it, get a better job. And these workers are. They're walking out of the industry in droves. And I don't think one of the things that people realize is that when you're dealing with servers that have that sub-minimum wage, and then they're relying on tips to get them to a minimum wage. I mean, if you're at a really high-end restaurant where your bill may be over a hundred dollars in in theory, you should get like a twenty dollar tip or something like that. If someone's tipping twenty percent, you're gonna get there. But in so many restaurants, you know, they're they're not huge bills and you can't rely on everybody tipping twenty percent. So even with tips, a lot of these workers weren't even getting to minimum wage. You bring up a great point, Deborah, and that's that the law, federal law, says that employers have to make up the difference. So the federal minimum wage is $7.25. If your state has a wage that is higher, then that's what they have to get to. And then the sub-minimum wage at the federal level is $2.13. But in case there's listeners from all over the country, let's just use the federal as an example. If I'm working a shift and I'm making $2.13, an employer needs to actually calculate, like you said, if tips make up the difference between $2.13 and that $7.25 rate. The Department of Labor under the Obama administration did actually a compliance sweep. They interviewed thousands of restaurants, and they found an 84% noncompliance rate. At the end of that sweep, the inspector general had to issue recommendations, and essentially they deemed that this issue, this two-tiered wage system, was unenforceable. There was such high rates of noncompliance. There's too many independent operators. It is just simply too hard to calculate that. And so what we've been advocating for for years and years is to eradicate the system, the two-tiered system, make everybody earn a full minimum wage. Truly, no worker in America should earn less than a minimum wage for their labor. And tips can be on top of that. In fact, uh, I should have mentioned earlier, there's seven states. This is not like a pipe dream or an impossible thing that only happens in Europe. You don't have to look to Europe. In the United States, there are seven states that have eliminated the lower wage for tipped workers. These states include California. Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Minnesota, Nevada, and Montana. So decades ago, these states moved to eliminate this legacy of slavery, as I mentioned. At emancipation, the restaurant lobby sought to hire newly freed slaves, not pay them anything, and have them live entirely on tips, which was a mutation of the original concept of tips, which were meant to be a bonus on top of wages, not wage replacement. So these seven states have rejected the legacy of slavery. They've moved to raise the tipped minimum wage to the full minimum wage with tips on top. I think that's the other argument that folks always tend to stick to or opposition will say, well, if you pay everybody a full wage, then waiters are just going to make minimum wage because nobody's going to tip anymore. Actually, these states have higher rates of tipping and higher sales growth for restaurants per capita. Restaurant receipts are higher and tipping is the same, if not higher than anywhere else. They also have, most importantly to this conversation, half the rate of sexual harassment in their restaurant industries as states with a subminimum wage of 213. And so the subminimum wage is thus the source of the fact that the restaurant industry has the highest rates of sexual harassment claims in the country, in the country, across all industries, across the military. In fact, I know we want to get into our own research, but Professor Catherine McKinnon, who, as you know, is a lifelong scholar on the issue of sexual harassment, she actually coined the term sexual harassment. She said when working with us on a December this December report that we published, take your mask off so I know how much to tip you, she called it um, in the press event that we did for this, the mother load of sexual harassment. She said this is worse than the military. This is worse than any other sector she's seen. 
and that passing one fair wage, eradicating the lower subminimum wage for tipped workers, a primarily female workforce, would be more effective than actually making sexual harassment illegal at work. That's just crazy <laughs> when you stop to think about it. But, you know, you look at what tip workers are making. It's, you know, the subminimum wage. Very few of these places offer anything in the way of benefits or paid sick leave or any of these things. So we've got these workers barely scraping by. There's there's no benefits. They're dealing with harassment really on a daily basis. Why were they staying for so long? Yeah, that's a great question. And I also want to highlight something that I realized I didn't mention up top because we got right into talking about the restaurant industry, which it is, in fact, the largest employer of tipped workers in the United States. But I also want to clarify, while the campaign was started by our sister organization, the Restaurant Opportunity Center United, which is a national organization representing workers in the restaurant industry specifically, over the last two years, we have grown the coalition to include many other workers for whom tips are considered wage replacements. So this includes nail salon workers. This includes car wash workers, airport workers, parking attendants, tech platform delivery workers, and drivers, hairdressers, massage therapists, musicians, and many more, all who rely on tips as the majority of their income. So it's really important to keep in mind, um, while our mind jumps to the restaurant sector because it's the largest employer of tip workers, there's also many other sectors for whom uh, wages are, uh, tips are considered a wage replacement, I should say. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. And similarly, in those industries, workers have very few protections. Tips have gone down. You can imagine, you know, the nail salon industry, all these sectors have really taken a hit, just like the restaurant industry has during COVID, parking valet attendance. So many of our members and our leadership work in like conference centers or they work in hotels and they were laid off or furloughed due to the pandemic. Many of them also didn't get access to unemployment insurance. We published a lot of reports and did a lot of research because when you're earning a sub-minimum wage, Fun fact, not fun fact, but interesting fact, the government essentially tells you when you apply for an unemployment insurance that you didn't make enough to qualify for unemployment. It showed that you simply weren't working enough because you're making the, the rate was calculated on the sub-minimum wage, not the overall minimum wage, because they had no way to account for tips that you weren't earning. Well, that's a great argument for everyone who says, well, people would just rather sit home and collect unemployment than work. It's like they're they not never collecting got it anything. To begin with, Deborah, they never got it to begin with. Of the workers we surveyed, a large majority never received any sort of unemployment insurance, pandemic relief assistance, those one-time payments. Service workers didn't get it. Because the restaurant industry is notorious for underreporting or there's just like sketchy accounting overall. That is the reality of the arrest. That's why the inspector general deems the issue unenforceable. So let's get back to the, the question then. This is really pretty crummy. Why are people staying or why were people staying? I guess I should say. Yeah, I think the reality is that workers need to feed their families. They need to pay their bills. There is this prospect when you work in the service industry and you work for tips that you could have a good night where you could make $200 and $300 an hour. And that is what our opposition loves to prevail as their overarching argument. Well, if you work hard enough, you can make a lot of money on tips. But you know who's occupying those jobs, those high-wage earning jobs? A lot of our research shows that it's white males, black, indigenous, people of color, immigrants, women. They're not afforded those opportunities to be upwardly mobile because there's a lack of just generally upward mobility, Um, lack of promotion, training, hiring practice. There's so many kind of fractures in the system. For example, you work in retail, 
you know that there's a path to upward mobility, right? You know, I'm the cashier and then I can move up to the floor lead and then I can move up to the manager and then I can be the shift lead. You know, that kind of avenue or staircase for upward mobility simply doesn't exist for restaurant industry workers. It is not clearly laid out. And that is by design, right? That is by design to keep workers who are really good busters at busters because why would you want to pay them anything else than three, four or $5 an hour if you can get really good labor and, you know, experienced busser who's worked for 20 years, why would you promote them to a server or a bartender or a higher wage earning position? And so I think that prospect is there. It's just always been ever so slightly out of reach for so many workers. But you have this feeling like the American dream, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you work really hard, you can eventually get to work the Friday or Saturday night. But unfortunately, that opportunity based on our research simply doesn't come for so many black women mothers, workers who are disproportionately affected by the kind of systems that our country has defaulted to. And this is by design, right? It's no surprise that a literal legacy and relic of slavery continues in our economy disproportionately affect women and people of color. That is by design. And the Restaurant Association spends a lot of money to keep it that way. I really want to name the villain here, and that's the National Restaurant Association. They've lobbied for centuries to keep wages this low. They are saying right now that you know, the main narrative is that uh, independent restaurants have taken such a hit during COVID. There's no way you could ask them to raise their wages. And we're saying this is precisely the time. As you're talking about rebuilding and building back better, an economy that's equitable for all, we need to make sure that we get rid of legacies of slavery in our economy and the devaluation of human labor, a continuation of racial capitalism in our economy in the form of the subminimum wage. We need to pay workers what they deserve, which is a full fair wage. And if you get a tip, that's great, but that's on top of it. You shouldn't have to, if I'm a woman, I shouldn't have to exploit and feel like I'm so vulnerable that I have to put up with whatever a customer might do or say to it, to, um, to me to earn that tip. And you know what's worse, Deborah, is that it's not actually just the norm, it's encouraged. Many managers will say, well, why don't you know, dress a little bit more sexy, show a little bit more cleavage, wear a little bit more makeup to go impress the person sitting at table five. And we've all seen so it's not the, only normalized, it's actually encouraged. And we've all seen those stories that have come out in newspapers and magazines where if the waitress smiles, she'll see uh, a certain level of bump in her, her tips. And if she wears, you know, a short skirt or if she does this or that or the other thing, because you really have to kind of put yourself out there in that very available way and and then still keep yourself protected, which is a challenge. I think you're absolutely right. I think that women feel like they have to relegate themselves to that notion of like servitude that I mentioned before. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, Cornell University, as well as some other leading like non one for wage research has come out. They've done like customer pairs testing to figure out how tipping is correlated. There's actually a lot of studies that show that there's no correlation between good service and a gratuity. Most of it has to do with what you said. Look, if a woman, if a waiter was wearing red lipstick, I worked in the restaurant industry myself. I know that if I threw on red lipstick on a Friday night, I was going to make maybe $100, $150 more that night just by simply having a little bit of makeup on. You know, it had nothing to do with my wine knowledge or my expertise. Really, it was all based on looks. Um, but I think it just gets to this overall issue about workers' vulnerability, their dependence on tips because they don't receive a full minimum wage. And it preve prevents them from rejecting or reporting sexual harassment in the workplace. That's really what it comes down to. All right, let, let's take a step back and, and, and go back to how One Fair Wage got involved with a health equity approach to preventing sexual violence. Uh, 
What exactly was that? And what were some of your findings? How were all were you involved with that? So as you know, this past summer, the Prevention Institute published their health equity approach to preventing sexual violence, where they took a look at the short and long-term physical, emotional, and psychological effects uh, from sexual harassment, abuse, and assault on a person's well-being and impact on the entire community, both from the culture and connections to the economic toll and um, strategies for prevention. And I was so impressed by this report because honestly, they highlighted not just the traditional avenues for preventing sexual harassment at work as far as like internal organizational HR changes, but they took a look at our economy as a whole and said, okay, what are the policies that are creating systems where women are unsafe at work and facing an increase in gender-based violence at work. So is it domestic work? Is it restaurant work? How do we bring in stakeholders and advocates and the people doing the work on the ground, the worker leaders, the communicators, the storytellers, women that have so proudly and bravely told their stories on a national level to find solutions to keep women and gender nonconforming folks safe at work. And when I say women, I also include gender nonconforming folks in that. Um, so they took a look at policies like One Fair Wage, for example, which contribute to higher rates of sexual harassment and gender-based violence against women at work and in industries and sectors that have higher rates of sexual harassment and violence. So I was so impressed because it really was a holistic approach. Look, we, of course, advocate for things like bystander intervention training, and we've actually partnered with organizations like Futures Without Violence to create a restaurant model or a restaurant-specific model for training managers and owners and every single member of the restaurant community on sexual harassment um, prevention and practices. And I think that's a really unique thing. So you need both, right? You need those kind of like technical tools and training for on-the-spot bystander prevention and intervention um, and informing, you know, just letting folks know. I've d- I did so many of these trainings back when I worked with our National High Rate High Road Employer Association, which is this network of over a thousand restaurants who are committed to setting better standards in the restaurant industry as far as wages and racial and gender equity. So I did a bunch of these trainings and they were amazing. I went to restaurants all around New York and DC and select cities where we partnered to roll out this program. So you need those kind of training and technical systems, but you also need broad policy change, right? If <laughs> If you have the empirical data from the seven states, including California, that have eliminated the subminimum wage that tells you that sexual harassment rates are cut in half, then there's your answer. Just pass the bill and you'll reduce sexual harassment because at the end of the day, a woman will be able to tell a customer to buzz off if he makes any improper advances or her coworkers because she knows that her wages don't rely on the, you know, the tips don't make up the entirety of her wages. She'll be able to actually say and reject these advances rather than having to endure it to earn a tip because in the back of her head, she's thinking, well, I need to feed my family or I need to make rent or I need to pay my school loan. And so at the very least, they'll be making a full fair wage. So the Prevention Institute featured us in this health equity approach, and they did a spotlight on One Fair Wage, which was elevating the connection between tipped wages and sexual harassment, everything we've been talking about today. And they uh, highlighted us for really making that connection between economic supports for women and 
families and establishing and consistently applying workplace policies to create workplaces free of harassment. There is just so much we need to be talking about, and we are starting to run a little tight on time. So I want to make sure that we talk about this report that you put out. Take your mask off so I know how much to tip you. How did this study come about? And some of the things that are in it are just absolutely incredible. So I'll let you, I'll let you hit the highlights, but there, there is just, everybody should go to your website and download this and read it because it is amazing. Thank you so much, Deborah. Yes, as you mentioned, in December of 2020, we published this groundbreaking report called Take Off Your Mask So I Know How Much to Tip You. And it catalogs and documents service workers' experience of health and harassment during COVID-19 in a groundbreaking way that hadn't been done before by any agency. And the way that we were actually able to conduct these surveys is we had access to workers in a way that agencies frankly didn't. We launched an emergency fund in March 2020 called the One Fair Wage Service Workers Emergency Fund. And we had over 330,000 workers apply. We fundraised almost $28 million to provide emergency cash grant assistance of $500 per worker for these workers that I mentioned weren't able to access an employment insurance. So it really was a lifeline for them. And this report was featured from USA Today to CNN to the Washington Post, the New York Times for documenting these stories. Actually, if you go on our website, onefairwage.org, O-N-E-F-A-I-R wage, W-A-G-E, Org, and you look at our research section, you'll be able to find this report. And the report, um, if you look at Table 5 specifically, we felt it was so important that we published over seven pages of worker comments, of unwanted sexualized comments received by employees from customers. And we published them verbatim as they had been told to us. And I'm just going to read a few so the listener can get a sense of what women in the thousands were telling us that they were putting, uh, being put through. Take that mask off. Let me see your beautiful face. The supervisor went to tell a guest that he needed to wear a face mask or he wouldn't get any service. And he called her a B word. A customer told me I looked good in a mask and then said, how will I know how much to tip you if I can't see that pretty face under there? They were called names. I'm not going to, sorry, I should have provided a trigger warning for, for folks who have been harassed at work, but they were called names. This is uh, this was consistently the case for workers we surveyed across states. In Illinois specifically, many workers reported a dramatic change in sexual harassment during the pandemic, which is compounded by having to ask customers to comply with COVID-19 safety protocols. So all of a sudden, tip service industry workers were thrust into this position where they had to enforce safety guidelines like mask mandates and now vaccine mandates or social distancing mandates. And so the customer just felt even more, I mean, I'm not going to psychoanalyze, but compelled, agitated. They might have already been irked at the situation. You know, these are new guidelines that the general public has to deal with. And who is getting the brunt of that? It's service industry workers who, as you mentioned, already had a hard time prior to the pandemic. Um, a few key findings from Illinois, customers by ma- comments by male customers indicated that they felt entitled to demand that workers remove their protective gear, exposing them to, ri- to the risk of illness or death in order to obtain the tips they need to make up their base wage. You might also remember that in September of last year, the CDC said restaurants were one of, if not the most dangerous places to work during the pandemic. So here you're being asked to pull down your mask, otherwise you won't get a tip and risk yourself. Uh, So not only are you facing danger from both angles, right? Sexual harassment and abuse, and then also potentially contracting the virus. More than 40% of workers, it was 42%, 
reported that there had been a change in the frequency of unwanted sexualized comments from customers, and over a quarter reported that they have experienced or witnessed a significant change in the frequency of such sexual harassment. Workers were frequently subjected to sexualized comments, and the majority of which were requests from customers that women service workers remove their masks so the men could then judge their lips and implicitly decide their tips on that basis. Many comments were even more sexually explicit. Guys came in and harassed one of their servers and tried to touch her. That was from a worker in Illinois. So, you know, and then the other data that, that we talked about, tips have declined. They don't have, they didn't have adequate protection um, and their communities are, higher, are at higher risk of contracting COVID. One in two workers in Illinois reported that at least one or more of their coworkers in their restaurant had contracted COVID-19. And this was 10 points higher than the national average. The and data it, is really a lot alarming for service workers. And again, a lot of these places didn't offer much or any in the way of health benefits. So your tips are taking a hit, you're putting yourself at risk. And then if you do get sick and you've got a really good chance of that, you're even in worse shape because you don't have any help with the medical care that you need. You don't have medical care. You can't qualify for unemployment insurance. It's an impossible situation. So Deborah, when you ask, why don't workers just leave? It's an impossible situation. It truly is. And who's to say it's going to be better at the other, you know, unless they're a hybrid employer and part of our network, who's who's to say that it's going to be better wherever they turn around and go? There's such high turnover in the restaurant industry. That's why it's really been hard to organize and, you know, push for lasting change because you might just turn around and leave and go somewhere else. So we know the answer is getting rid of the subminimum wage. The seven states that have already done that have really pretty profoundly illustrated that. What else can we do? I mean, to support the tipped workers, what can we do to help bring about this change? Exactly. That's a great question. And I love me a call to action. (laughs) So I'm going (laughs) to encourage everybody who's listening right now to go to onefairwage.org forward slash take dash action. There, you'll be prompted with a few buttons that allow you to take action based on who you are. Are you a consumer? Are you somebody who goes out to eat? If you're a service worker that's listening, there's an option there for you. If you're a restaurant owner who wants to learn more about these training and technical assistances, or if you know a restaurant work uh, owner, I'm sorry, there's a restaurant owner of a nearby coffee shop or one of your favorite restaurants, let them know that there's this hybrid employer association. They provide a comprehensive gender and racial equity training and technical assistance program, and that you care as a consumer to... Uh, vote with your dollars or shop with your fork or whatever the saying is, truly. I mean, you care that you're spending money at an establishment that is truly valuing uh, the workers who power, you know, from the people who cook your food to serve your food or package it or deliver it. Um, This is about creating food justice throughout the food chain, making sure that workers are paid a full minimum wage, making sure that the workers who serve our food have enough food to bring home to their families, right? On that page, you'll also be prompted to contact your legislator. So in Illinois, we're pushing a state bill to eradicate this legacy of slavery. Illinois has a unique history in that it's home to the Porter Museum, which actually just formally launched in Chicago in September over Labor Day weekend. And so there's a strong connection to restaurant workers organizing and fighting for their rights. And we think the best way to honor that rich history of restaurant workers standing up and fighting for their rights, predominantly African-American workers, is to pass One Fair Wage, eradicate this legacy of slavery. You can call your senator, your state rep to support One Fair Wage on that page that I mentioned, onefairwage.org forward slash take action. 
And then you can communicate every time you eat out, as I mentioned, with the restaurants that you love or with your servers to let you know. Um, We have like this little QR code that you can um, present that says, thanks for serving me. You deserve a full livable wage with tips on top. And then it tells you a little bit about your rights. And there's lots of ways that you can get involved. But I think the most important thing is just to get educated on this issue. You've done that by listening to this podcast. You can tell your friends who might not even know that there is a subminimum wage in America. And you can continue to support the fight for uh, service industry workers and creating a world in which women and gender nonconforming folks feel respected, valued at work, and are paid what we're worth, right? Well, we got a lot of work to do. And uh, I thank you and One Fair Wage uh, for getting the ball rolling on this and providing so much information. Are there any other sources you want to give us real quick that people can check out? Or do we just start at One Fair Wage and go from there? Start at onefairwage.org forward slash take dash action. But a good other resource is if you go to www.highroadrestaurants.com. That's highroadrestaurants.com. That will allow you to support restaurants that are already moving to pay their workers a full minimum wage with tips on top. And at highroadrestaurants.com, you can find a complete listing of those restaurants in your area. And maybe the next time that you're, you know, who hasn't struggled to figure out where to have dinner on a Friday night, you can uh, consider supporting one of these great restaurants in Illinois. Shamila Ruiz with One Fair Wedge, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Deborah, for having me. Thank you to your entire team for doing all the great advocacy work that you do and providing so many resources for the community to be able to feel safe at work and at home and wherever they are. This has been Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Perry Center Against Sexual Assault. If you'd like more information or have questions about this program, you may call our offices at 217-744-2560 or send me an email at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault supports children and adult survivors of sexual violence through counseling and legal and medical advocacy in 11 central Illinois counties. Prairie Center offers coaching boys into men for male high school and college athletes. Athletes as leaders for female athletes in high school, bringing in the bystander training for college campuses and sexual harassment prevention training for businesses and organizations in our area. Our main office is located in Springfield, Illinois, with satellite offices in Jacksonville and Taylorville, Illinois. And you can find out more about our services at our website at prairiecasa.org. This program is supported by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Points of view or opinions contained in this program are those of Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault and our guests and do not necessarily reflect the official positions or policies of these grantors. Thank you for listening.